Good morning. In lieu of that song, I'd like to read Psalm 34, verses 8, 9, and 10. It says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you as saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer, want, and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And so as we enter into the Easter season, I know sometimes we can just kind of go through the motions and it's just another, it's another Easter weekend. And so with a, a month ahead of time, I would like for, to challenge you uh, maybe to begin to press into the things of God and um, see and taste that he is good and, and really understand um, the gravity of what Christ did for each one of us as we go through the Passion Week uh, and enter into the, the Easter season. And so uh, taste and see that the Lord is good and get a, get a jump start on that this year, this season, as we enter into the Easter season. Um, if you're visiting with us this morning, uh, when you leave, you can go out these back doors and go into our main lobby. There's a little gift bag there for you um, for you to have some information about our church and the ways that we can serve you and better serve you uh, and ways that you can contact our staff. Also, our numbers are here in the bulletin. Uh, and you can get our numbers there, and you can contact us there if you should need anything. And uh, there's a host, a myriad of things going on in the bulletin for student ministry, kids ministry, uh, tons of stuff going on. So make sure that you just take note of that and take a look at that. Uh, one thing that's coming up is this Tuesday night. We're just going to meet at Skateland and uh, have a good time. This is really church-wide, so if you like skating or you just want to go watch people fall down, come on. It's going to be a good time, all right? So uh, you might see me fall down because I'm going to give it out there and give it a whirl. So... Uh, Anyways, but you guys, if you will, stand up with us this morning, turn to your neighbor, say hello to him.
Thank you. Um, as I, I hate to do this during uh, prayer time, but I need to make just a couple of announcements. Uh, the first one is this. Um, Sunday night Bible study, we will not have it for the next two Sunday nights. Then on April the 2nd, we will have uh, church-wide care, which means that our uh, student ministry will be doing care with us. And also, we'd encourage you to come on that Sunday night and have care ministry with us. But tonight and then the following Sunday night, Awana uh, will meet, students will meet. It's just for the next two Sunday nights, we'll not have adult Bible study, okay? And also, I want to mention, and I appreciate Ramey Robinson. He's one of our deacons. He's serving this time. He's going to lead us in just a moment in this prayer time. But if you'll look in your bulletin, we are taking deacon nominations. And I want to thank all the men that serve. We understand that if you're asked, it may not be a right time for you. That's okay. But if you feel like it is, we'd encourage you to, to just say yes to that and let us know. But you can fill out your care card. And if you'll put it in the basket back there with a nomination for a deacon, we'd really appreciate that. And let me ask you this question during this prayer time. If, if God can answer one prayer for you in your life right now, just, just spiritually speaking, what would it be? If God could answer one prayer for you on behalf of your family, on behalf of your church, I have specific prayers that I pray for this church. And a lot of times I pray, I pray those prayers during this time. I would encourage you to do that today. Okay, that's what this time is all about. We'd encourage you to take advantage of it. You don't have to come forward. Sometimes it just helps so much to come forward uh, as an individual or with your family. So as the choir leads us in this time, would you meet me here at the altar? And I'm going to ask Ramey, if you will, to lead us during this prayer time. So you come forward this morning. pray. Father, we want to thank you for the opportunity to come out together and worship this morning in your house, Lord. We want to thank you for the worship we had this morning through Sunday school, Lord, the ability to learn and share with our fellow brothers and sisters, Lord. And Lord, I thank you for the worship through the singing this morning, Lord. I pray that you will bless the leaders of our music program, Lord. Bless our staff here at the church. And Lord, as our pastor mentioned here a moment ago, Lord, if we had that one one prayer that we would want to pray, Lord, I'm, I'm thankful for the opportunity to pray and lay our burdens and our heart's desires on you, Lord, for your guidance, Lord. we got many in our church, Lord, that's sick, facing surgeries and treatments, Lord. I just pray that you'll bless their bodies, bless their caregivers, bless our military, Lord. we got several members of our church that are unable to be with us because they're serving our country, Lord. We're thankful for the freedom to be able to worship this morning, Lord, uh, in this house, Lord. Lord, I pray that you'll be the brother in the moment, Lord, as he brings the word, just giving the words we need to hear. Be with us as a church as we go out into the community this week, Lord, that will be an example to you, to others. Forgive us for our many sins and our shortcomings. In our name we pray. Amen.
once you lived in Adam. And let's face it, you enjoyed some of these sins. And from time to time, Satan whispers in your ear and tries to get you to go back to that old lifestyle. Doesn't he do that? Paul is saying, don't go back. You're under a different master. You've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son. Things are different now. You are in Christ. You are under his reign. Why would you go back to the old master, the old tyranny? If you die to sin, how can you continue to live in it? Sin, as it were, has been unplugged in your life. Don't plug it back in. You're dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Believe it. Act on it. You're united with Christ in his death, in his burial, in his glorious resurrection. This is your identity. Never forget it. Live it. Live the life of grace. Live a life of freedom. Was that not a blessing from the choir this morning? Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Thank you so much. Thank you for our special singers. Uh, Sharon, thank you for the work that you do. We're really blessed to have you here. And I hope you never take our choir and our, our choir leader for granted. And uh, thank you so much for all of you that sing in the choir. If you're interested in singing in the choir, please see uh, Sharon after church or sometime this week. Uh, our choir leads us in worship. What they do is just as important as what I do. So I'm very thankful and honored to bless, blessed to be your pastor. And thank you all so much for what you do. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. And if you'll stand with me, we're going to read verses 13 through 16. If you're new here, typically what our pastors do when we preach is we take a book of the Bible and just preach it verse by verse. We feel like that's the best way for us to grow. Next week, we're going to look at just verse 17. And then the following week, we'll worship through the Lord's Supper and we'll talk about verses 18 through 21, which talks about the fact that we've been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. But verses 13 through 16, for the first 12 verses, we've talked about doctrine, about our salvation, about all these things that we look at. Now, what Peter's going to talk about is putting those beliefs into practice. Let me ask you a question. Do you really believe what we talk about here? Do you really believe this stuff? If so, Peter says this, in verse 13, therefore, because of all that I've talked about, Peter says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. This, right, this first step that I'm going to talk about will make or break your life this week. Gird up the loins of your mind. How are you thinking? How are you thinking? So important. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. And all of God's people said, amen. Be sober. And then he says this. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation. All he's saying is this. Your hope should be fixed on Jesus now and his return. That's what it means. It'll transform your whole life. It, regardless of what the doctor tells you this year, and aren't you thankful for doctors? I am. Regardless of what they tell you, your hope is fixed on Jesus, which means you're a pilgrim here. This world is not your home. As much as we love it, we've been blessed to live in Alexander County and go to this church. I feel so blessed. 
Don't want to leave it. But I have a better home awaiting me. Okay? It's going to be okay. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. That's what that means. That should, that should transform how you view hardships here. And then he says this. And then he says, As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to former lust. Now look at me. We all have former lust. All of us do. We all have been brought out of something. And what Peter is saying is this. Be careful not to go back to that. Okay? Just a smart thing to say. Very practical. And then, and then he ends this. As you did in your ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy I'm holy. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. Father, I want to thank you for years ago, you saved Peter. And Lord, that he wrote these two epistles that have been really so life-changing for me. Lord, it's one of my favorite books in all the Bible. And Father, I pray that you would help us to take practical steps to be more like you. Lord, what a difference it'll make in our lives, the lives of our family, the lives of our church and our community. And we'll thank you and praise you for what you alone can do. And Father, we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. And all of God's people said together, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The first step we're going to look at is this. Guard your thought life. Notice, notice what he says in verse 13. Therefore, look at the word, gird up the loins of your mind. That's a weird saying, isn't it? It just means to be prepared. This, this leads us back. When one writer said it takes the reader back to the context of the book of Exodus where the Passover is being established among the Israelite people. They've been in bondage for nearly 400 years, and God says, tomorrow I'm going to release you. And because of that, you're to eat with your loins girded. Now, back in those days and in Jesus' days, oftentimes men would wear like a robe or a tunic um, or something like that. Okay, It's almost like we'd say, almost like a dress this morning, kind of like what Kayla's wearing this morning. Okay, Now, as a man, I don't know what it's like to wear a dress. Now, somebody like Wesley Fox or Timmy Stackleather, maybe they do, but I don't. I don't. Okay? So what a man would do is, if they were going to work and be prepared, is they would have a belt, they would take that, roll it up, and then put it in their belt. All right? You're ready to go. Moses is saying, listen, tomorrow we're leaving. Gird up your loins, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand. Peter uses that thought process, being a good Jewish person that he was, who was converted to Christ, to say, you should do that with your mind. Are you listening to me? Gird up the loins of your mind. You need to be careful how you think. You need to be careful how you think. As Christians, and myself included, we can get so lazy, spiritually speaking, with our minds that we'll believe almost anything. We'll believe almost anything. You know, the writer of uh, uh, one of the Psalms talking about God's Word, he said it makes us simple. Simple, the word is. That means closed doors. That means you know the truth, and that's all you allow in there. You don't just have an open door for every thought and philosophy out there. There's a whole lot of junk out there. Okay? He says you should be so focused on the truth that that's all you let in. You can read other things. I read other things all the time. But you don't let it in. Gird up the loins of your mind. Guard your mind. Our salvation has left us here. That word, it means to prepare. It's left us here to work. The, the word refer, refers to your thought processes. Tighten up the thought presses of your minds. The mind wonders unless we control it. 
think about this. Spiritual trouble always begins with a lazy, undisciplined mind. A lazy, undisciplined mind. Always. All our problems start between the ears. First we think on it. Then we dwell on it. Then we justify it. Then we do it. You could paraphrase this verse to say, tighten up the belt around your mind. Put your thoughts together. Use your head. Have you ever heard that? Use your head. My grandpa used to say this. Use your head, boy. Use your head. It is a battle that takes place in your mind. God challenges Job at the end of Job. Job says, why did all this happen to me? And God says this. Gird up the loins of your mind, boy. Listen, I'm about to teach you something. And God, for three chapters, just tells Job, where were you when I did this? Where were you when I did this? What he's saying is, who do you think you are? Fix your mind. Job went through worse than what any of us will go through. And God says, gird up the loins of your mind. You need to guard what enters your mind as carefully as you guard what you eat. If you want to be clean in the midst of an unclean culture, don't be loose in your thinking. Don't. Because here's what you'll get. All you husbands, look at me. You'll get greener grass syndrome. That's what you're going to get. Ah, oh, what if? What if he had abs? <laughs> He's over 40, he don't. <laughs> All right. Or, or men will say this, what if, what if, what if? All right. Fix your thinking. Go to grief. Just fix your thinking. Guard your mind. Number two, guard your emotions. He says this, keep sober in your spirit. That word sober, Peter isn't talk, talking about intoxication, even though that's the, the, the analogy he's using. He's using this in contrast to being drunk emotionally. Think about this. A drunk man oftentimes is out of his mind. He says things and does things that he shouldn't. What Peter's saying is you need to be emotionally fit. The word sober refers to a steady, calm, controlled person. It can, it can refer to someone who carefully weighs the matter at hand. Some of the wisest words that are ever said in our deacons meetings is, why don't we pray about this? Is it not? Hey, I'll tell you what, let's pray about it. Instead of jumping the gun and just making a decision, we don't have all the facts. Why don't we just pray about it? Isn't that smart? Do you do, you do that? Hey, next time you're at Dusty Ridge, and I'm going to be a t-ball coach, by the way. Be careful, I'll be there. Next time you want to yell at that guy making $5 an hour, just think about it. Say, let's pray about this, okay? Let's pray about it. All right, it's not that bad, is it? It's not that bad. Next time somebody turns you off in, in, in the lane on I-40, just pray about it, you know? I've told you about truck drivers pulling over on me. I'm on the interstate all the time. Guy looked in the river. Guy pulled over in front of me, right? And you know what he gave me? He gave me the bad finger. He pulled over in me. He gave me the bad finger. So I gave him the finger back. I went like this. That's what I did. That's all I did. What am I going to do? What you going to do to a big truck? That's what I did. Okay? He says this. Keep in mind now. Now listen to me, church. Keep in mind. Be sober with your emotions. Think about the times they were living in. Nero passing all these laws. It was, it, was, it was a morally bad place. And Peter says, just stay sober. Don't stagger around like some out-of-control drunk person. Look, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit and he who takes the city. The 
Ephesians 4. Be angry, husbands and wives. Be angry and do not sin. Be angry. Hey, wives, it's okay to be angry to your husband. We're stupid, all right? But don't sin. Don't hit him, all right? Don't kick him out of the house. Be angry. Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Because when you do, what you're doing is giving opportunity for the devil to enter into your home. You can be angry, but don't sin. Be sober in your emotions. Proverbs 12. Listen, everybody. A fool is quick-tempered, but a wise person stays calm when insulted. Boys, I've been a fool before, have you not? Quick-tempered, just make assumptions, think I know everything about a situation where you don't know nothing. That's foolish. Solomon will look at this church and say, just don't be a fool. Be sober. Guard your emotions. A man without self-control is like a city broken down and left without walls. Think about that. Hey, listen, be sober when it comes to courage. God told Joshua, Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God doesn't give us a spirit of fear. The third thing is this. Fix your hope on Jesus. Fix your hope. Pin your hope at the coming of your Lord Jesus Christ. This command is actually the central verb or thought of this whole paragraph. Fixing your hope isn't an emotional feeling. It's an act of the will. Live expectantly. Live with anticipation of the glory of the coming of the Lord and your inheritance, which will never fade away. This word for hope, listen, look at the word for hope. It means a firm conviction based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not I hope so, it's I know so. I hope. Fix your hope. Listen to what one scholar says. Fix your hope is the first command following Peter, Peter's unveiling of the riches of salvation in verses 1 through 12. And it's in the aorist imperative, which conveys the need for each believer to make this decision. You have to decide to do it. Just because you're saved doesn't mean you're going to do it. A lot of people don't. It's, it, you make a decision today that you understand Jesus rose from the dead and that changes everything. It's like a command from a general to his troops engaged in daily combat. Hope fully. It conveys a sense of urgency. Do it now. Do it once and for all. Do it effectively, but just do it. It's in the active voice, which indicates that this is a voluntary choice of each person's will. God's not going to make you. He's not. You have to fix your hope. Listen, this world is not our home. I've shared this with you before, but a pastor I love to listen to. He was talking about one of his good friends in ministry. And, and he, he, he found out his friend had just gotten cancer. And it was terminal. And he called his friend, true story. And he said, the best thing that has ever happened to me is number one, Jesus. And secondly, is this cancer. He says, why is that? And he says, well, up until cancer, I was a Christian, but God was like a good luck charm to me. God was just there to meet my needs. I lived for myself. Didn't spend the time I should with my family. God existed for me, not for him. But cancer showed me the shortness of my life, and only what I have done for Christ will laugh, last. And he said, it's, a pro it's changed how I approach life. He said, basically, he said, the doctor's given me six years. And he says, this is the way I look at it. That's 72 months. That's 300 plus weeks. That's 2,200 days at the most. And Psalm 90 says this, Number your days that we may get a heart of wisdom. He says, Now when I go on vacations, I go on vacations. 
He says, now when I, when I look at my money, he says, I'm focused on what can I do for God's glory. He says, now my time is focused on heaven. He says, I thank God for my cancer. And then this pastor said, within six years, this man went to meet Jesus. Fix your hope. What's your hope fixed on? What is your hope fixed on today? I remember hearing John MacArthur give his testimony in, in college. He was an athlete, apparently pretty decent. He says, I was not focused on the ministry at all. It's easy to run for your calling. He said he was in a car with about four or five of his classmates. The car flipped over. He ended up in the hospital for quite some time. And he says he laid in that hospital. All he had was his thoughts. And it's like the Holy Spirit says, what are you doing? What are you doing with your life? He wasn't living in gross sin, I guess. What are you doing with your life? And he said it's then, and he said, you know, I fixed my hope on Jesus, and God changed my calling, not necessarily my calling, but God changed the direction of my life, and he went into ministry, and we're all better for it. Okay, one of my favorite preachers to ever preach is John MacArthur. Where is your hope? Number four, step number four is to get rid of old habits. Get rid of old, no, he says, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to former lust as in your ignorance. Everybody look at the word ignorance. Have we been ignorant? <laughs> you know what that means? Listen to what this means. It means literally not knowing. You just don't know. Do you think lost people really understand the magnitude of their sin? They don't. You know, be careful how you talk to a lost person. They're just doing what lost people do. Ignorant. Peter uses this word in addressing the Jews on Pentecost. Proclaiming, talking about Jesus' resurrection. Brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers also did. These people obviously knew what they were doing in betraying and rejecting Jesus, but they did not understand the significance of what they were doing. That's why when Jesus was on the cross, and the people were around him cursing, gambling for his clothes, talking about himself and probably his mama, who he died in front of, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, they do not know what they do. Ignorance. A lot of people do things in ignorance. When I was lost, I didn't understand the magnitude of my sin. I knew what I was doing was wrong, but I was ignorant of the eternal implications of it all. Show a little grace to people, amen? Show a little grace to people. They're ignorant. Look, Paul addresses the church, at, or not the church, but at the Athenians on Mars Hill. Talking about their idolatry, he says this, God having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men, that all everywhere should repent. What he's saying is this, now you know. Now as a Christian, what you did in ignorance, you know now. Amen? See, what you did, what I did as a 20-year-old, 19-year-old, 18-year-old, I know now. I'm not doing nothing in ignorance now. Absolutely nothing. What Peter is saying is this, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as you did in your ignorance. You know now. There's no excuses now. That's why, that's why one of the great things you can do every time you enter this building and we have prayer time is just repent of your ignorance and just admit it and say, God, I know what I'm doing. I ask you to forgive me. Stop calling sin a mistake and just admit it to the Lord. You don't got to tell me. I don't want to know. Do not be conformed. Think about this. Your, your flesh is like a sin magnet, <laughs> is it not? What I'm tempted by, you may not be. All right? What you struggle with, I may not. We must make a break from our past lifestyle. Look at the word lust. 
That's what you're tempted by, former lust. Think about this. Some places you may not be able to go. Some people you may, de- may need to get rid of. Only you know what you're tempted by. But God says, you know now, you're not ignorant of it anymore. Grow up. You're not, you're not in middle school, adults. I'm amazed at the number of people in Alexander County who live like they're middle schoolers, spiritually speaking. Grow up. Don't go back to who you were before as you did in your ignorance. Peter's saying, take responsibility for your life. And by the way, don't be so worried about somebody else's struggles. Worry about your own. Amen? Everybody's trying to find out what everybody else is doing in Alexander County. Why don't you look in the mirror and deal with yourself? You don't know what they're struggling with. You have no idea. And then the final and fifth thing is this. Pursue holiness in all areas of your life. The word Peter uses here, the word for holy means cut or separate or different. For instance, the temple was considered holy because not because of the bricks and mortar were somehow mystically perfect, but because this building was different from other buildings. You worship God in that building. That's why when we're having worship here in the sanctuary, there's some things you're just not going to do in this building. This isn't some kind of convention center. Amen? This is where you have church. All right. There's some things, if you have your wedding on this property, you're not going to do here. Go somewhere else. Because this place is set apart. The temple was set apart. To the Jewish people, and we talked about this two Wednesday nights ago, the Sabbath was holy. It was different, a different day from all the others. Likewise, the Bible says that Christians are holy. Think about that for a minute. The Bible says this book is the Holy Bible. The word Bible means book. I've got 400 books on my phone. 400. But I got one Bible, right? It's holy. There's no other book on the planet like this book. Don't, 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 don't fool yourself and say it's just this or that. No, it's God's holy word. It's holy. It's set apart. Marriage is called holy matrimony. It's not because two people that get married are perfect. They're not, right? It's called holy matrimony because it's different than what the world has. Think about that for a moment. The word holy, in this sentence, it means our lives are going to be a cut above or separate. When you think of holiness, what comes to your mind? But listen, I heard one pastor say this. When you come within an eye shot of holiness in somebody else. Nothing is more enamoring. He goes on to say this. Listen to this, ladies. When a lady meets a man that is holy, that means the absence of evil, the presence of virtue, that will and should take precedent over his looks or his bank account because you're going to be living with that man, right? You're going to be living with that person. And if that person is holy, it's going to be life-changing for you. See, Peter goes on in 1 Peter 3 or 4. We'll we'll get there eventually, maybe next year. He says, husbands dwell, listen to me. Ladies, listen to this. Dwell with your wives. That was unique in those days. Men didn't stay at home. And what it means is that when you're in the house, you be in the house. You know, a lot of couples today can't figure out how to live from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. Just can't figure it out. They cannot figure it out. Because when you dated, it's weekends, you're just having fun. How are you going to live in the same house with somebody? Share the same bathroom? 
If that person is holy, it's going to be a lot different for you. See, them good looks are going to go away when you don't wash dishes or pick up his socks or whatever, right? I'm just going to be honest with you. See, when a man sees a lady that's holy, he can trust her. She's going to respect him. They'll be loving, gentle, patient, warm, caring, respectful, providing, protecting. Holiness is beautiful. Holiness is beautiful. Think about friends that are holy. You want them to be around. Think about a holy boss. A holy boss. I had the privilege to brag on one of my bosses at a funeral. Good guy. Good to me. He wasn't holy at the time when I worked there, but God saved him. Right? I thank God for, for that. It was so, so amazing to me to have somebody. Look, a relative that is holy. Everyone shows up to respect that person. He says, be holy. Look at the words. For I am holy. Israel, Israel could not have a graven image of a God. Why? God said, I want them to see you. See, all the other nations had images of their gods. Wood, stone, gold, whatever. God says, you don't get to make an image of me because I'm going to show the nation you. They're going to look at you, the Jewish people, and they're going to see what God is like. Think about that for a moment. You're the image of me. You're my image bearer. Paul takes that to a new level in the New Testament and says, you are an ambassador of Christ. When you go to work Monday, you are Christ's image to the workplace. That's why Paul tells the church at Colossae, work as unto the Lord. When you go to school as a teenager, you are Christ's ambassador at that school, right? Whether you ever witnessed anybody or not, you are a witness in that sense. You are Christ's ambassador. God told the Israelites, he said this, don't craft an image of me. He says, they're going to know you're different. Listen for the Jewish people. Your diet's going to be different. You can't eat anything unclean. The way you clean your house and your dishes are going to be different. Your clothes are going to be different. You're going to have good hygiene. Read Leviticus. He says this, everybody before they're married, you have to be a virgin. What God was telling the Jews, sex is not given to men and women. It's given to husbands and wives. And there's no intimacy without commitment. He told the Jewish people, you can't lie, you can't steal, you can't take advantage of someone. See, he told the Jews, if another Jew loans from you, you're not going to uh, apply interest to that. Seven times a year as a nation had shut down, they would thank God. They were the most advanced, civilized, clean nation on earth. And if they would have honored God, he would have used them in a mighty way. God says now, you are God's people. You're to be holy. It's attractive. Jesus was attractive, not for his looks, but for his holiness. The Bible says a common man heard Jesus gladly, but Isaiah tells us 700 years before he was born, there was nothing in his looks that would attract you to Jesus. Nothing. It was who he was. Think about this. Christians are to be different. Think about in the area of morality. Do not be immoral with your body. Be holy. Do not be immoral in your relationships. Do not be immoral in your relationships. Think about, think about in the area of social justice, if you will. This word, be holy, for I am holy, see how it's in quotations? It comes from Leviticus. Think about this for a moment. When you think about poverty, in Leviticus, where Peter is quoting from, with this command to be holy, God commanded the Israelites 
listen to this, to leave the edges of their field unharvested. They were only to harvest the middle of the field and leave the edges easily accessible for the poor. Now, when I mean poor, I mean actually poor people. So the poor could glean from those sections and eat. No one else in the ancient world did that. Farmers would, like most business owners today, try to wring out every last cent of profit from their yield. That's just smart business. But God wanted Israel to be different so that foreigners would walk past the Israelites' fields and say, why didn't you harvest the edges? And they could say, it's because we serve a God who cares for the poor and shares with them, so we do also. To be wealthy is not sinful, but you need to have edges. Amen? See, I have a portion of my money each week that is holy. That's God's. It's not mine. It is God's. I've never had a problem giving money for the Lord's work, ever. I got saved in 1990. I've shared that with you a thousand times. I worked at Taylorsville Upholstery and was going to CVCC. All right? I made $50 a week, and I gave $5 to the church. That was just as important as anybody else's money. Amen? That was wholly set apart. That's what I did, and I've done it ever since. And I'll do it till I die. Okay? That is holy. That is set apart. Worship. Listen to me. Worship. This time is set apart for me. Nobody, once I got saved, nobody called Jamie Steele's house. Remember landlines? Nobody called my house between 9.30 and 12.30, ever. Ever. Why? Because this part, this time for me was holy. It was set apart. I wonder what the world thinks when people claim to know Jesus. I mean, they actually claim it and talk about it, but they never worship. I don't understand that, and the world don't either. Think about how you dress. I'm not being legalistic, but you're representing Jesus everywhere you go, in your church and in your community. You're his ambassador. Your flesh does not like holiness. It doesn't. That's why we all struggle. That's why I can't tell you. That's why if you come to me, listen, and this a gray area, and you say, preacher, what should I do? I'm going to say, I don't know. I don't know, you, you got the Holy Spirit in the Bible just like I do, amen. See, the church at Corinth would tell Paul, all things are lawful, and they are, but all things don't build up. I don't know you like you know you, but you do. I can't tell you, I, I can't preach to your convictions between you and the Lord. You got the Holy Spirit in a conscience. So many people will put them in a closet and then do what they want to do and then ask God to forgive them, okay? You come to me and say, hey, what should I do in this area? I'm not going to tell you. You're an adult, right? Be holy. That's the command. Be holy, for I'm holy. Be holy in all your conduct. That's the that's standard you should seek, okay? That's why I tell you, do not ever look down on somebody else's struggles because you don't know what they're going through. A holy person will go to that person and help them through it, not gossip about them. Amen? Not put it all over social media. Man, help us to grow up, Lord. Don't ever put somebody else's struggles on social media. That is so childish. If you're an adult, and you, especially if you claim to know Jesus, and then don't get in on it. I, I, I get so embarrassed for people when they do that. Just don't do it. Amen? Because we all struggle at times. We all have seasons in our life when everything goes well. We have seasons when they don't. We have seasons when we struggle and seasons when we don't. Welcome to life on this planet. Amen. Be holy for I'm holy. Listen, guard your mind. Guard your mind. 
If you show me what you're reading today, I can tell you what you're going to be like in a year. Guard your mind. Okay? Just, you better guard it. Fix your hope on Jesus. Fix it. That's something you have. If I were you, I would make a decision today at this invitation time and say, Jesus, I'm fixing my hope on you. And everything I do as a person flows out of that. Everything I do. Leave the old sinful self behind, and only you know what that is for you. Only you do. I encourage you to do it. Are you struggling with it? We all do. Okay? And then be holy in all your conduct. I want you to stand with me with every head bowed and every eye closed. As our musicians come, we're not going to give a long invitation. The only way for you to be holy is to place your faith in Jesus. And if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I pray that you do that today. The Bible says that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That is a promise from the Lord. Your greatest need in life is an eternal need. Your greatest decisions in life are the decisions that are eternal. Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus? Are your sins forgiven? If you died today, at this moment, would you go to heaven? The only reason you'll go to heaven is because you personally placed your faith in the resurrected Christ. And if you've never done that, I would encourage you to do that today. You don't need a preacher to pray with you. You can pray where you are. If you want to make it public, you can. Christians, grow up. Whatever it takes in your life, the Holy Spirit will tell you. If you need to repent today, repent. It's a beautiful word. Confess your sins to God. Fathers, we come to you in prayer. We want to thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd speak to your church today. Father, if there's anyone here today that's never placed their faith in you, I pray that today would be their day of salvation. Lord, help us as your church to be your ambassadors, not to be perfect. The world doesn't expect that. Lord, help us to be separate, but cut above for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As Sharon leads us in this song, you respond as the Lord leads you this morning. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ and you'd like to talk to myself or one of the staff about it, we'd love to talk with you about that. Also want to remind you once again, no adult Bible study tonight, but Awana's on regular schedule, student ministry's on regular schedule. God bless you. I hope you have a great Sunday afternoon. Hope to see you back here tonight at 5 p.m. Thank you.